a superhero of the Avengers, fearlessly taking on any fight. An ordinary man with a strength that never gives up. Do you remember the pain? Oh, all of it, yeah, I was awake through every moment. Who risked his own life to try to save his nephew. I just perfectly see him in a pool of blood coming from his head. When I ran up to him, you know, I didn't think he was alive. <sighs> I'd do it again. You'd do it again? Yeah, I'd do it again. Because it's going right at my nephew. You have a video which is haunting. It's January 1st at 8.42, yeah. and you are 13 minutes away. Someone's been run over by a snowcat. Hurry. He's been crushed. There's a lot of blood over here. He is in rough shape. Oh. Keep breathing, man. Keep fighting. Oh. Hang in there, brother. Oh. This is the sound of someone that was dying. Seven tons of machinery bearing down, and one man's iron will to fight and survive. Uh, I also sit on the House Weaponization Select Subcommittee. A couple weeks ago, we had a journalist before us, Matt Taibbi, who, by the way, is not a conservative. He's an independent journalist, but is known to be progressive or to the left, not to the right. And during the few hours that he's appearing before Congress, an IRS agent appears at his home and leaves him a note. Are you familiar with this? Are you aware of this? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, it's been well reported, and I could tell you more details, but here it is. A journalist is appearing before Congress to talk about the weaponization of the federal government, and during that time, an IRS agent goes to the home. i got to tell you, I have never heard of an IRS, IRS agent making an appearance at someone's home, short of them being under investigation for fraud or to want to be questioned for fraud. <clears throat> and I would ask, I mean, you're an economist, you're a mathematician, what are the chances of that being just luck? That the IRS appeared at someone's home while he's testifying about weaponization of federal government before Congress? Because I think it's minuscule. I think it's one in a million or less. And you weren't aware of that, but now you, I've told you about it. I need to ask you, with the direct oversight of the IRS, does that bother you? It's certainly something that I would want to look into. Now, China is the largest deployer of solar panels in China. They have deployed far more renewable energy than we have or than Europe has. So, yes, they're behind and it's a problem. The coal is a problem. But that's why it's important. We work with China. We reach out to China. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. And the president has tried very hard. Our president has tried hard to separate climate from the other issues that are real, that we obviously have with China, but we can't get bogged down by that because this is a universally felt existential challenge to the planet, and it's important that the two largest economies in the world work to try to resolve it. Innovation, I believe to be the pursuit of what can be unburdened by what has been. Innovation, results in one's ability not only to see, but to do things differently. New methods, new products, new approaches, new ideas. We innovate to be more effective and to solve problems. And by the way, I'm now I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm known as America's most pro-labor senator. Well, guess what? And then as now as president, well, guess what? They're 
In fact, increasing the number of women are in labor unions has got to be. Oh, no, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. The nickname I got early on when I won by 3,200 votes in the, for the Senate seat when I was 29 years old is because I started calling me Joe Bidenopolis because, oh, you think I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not joking, am I? I'm not joking because of the overwhelming support from the Greek American community. America, what do you love best? Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. What was that again? We love baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Oh. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. That's baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet, huh? Baseball and hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. They go together in the good old USA. Baseball and hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Makes sense to me. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 126 here on a glorious Thursday, March 30th. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. I'm Mike McKenna. And this is opening day, baby. Opening day of the Major League Baseball season. Yeah, I'm a whole new ball game, by the way. It's really not. It's much more like the old game, which <laughs> I'm totally in favor of. So you're okay with the clock, huh? I'm totally okay with the clock. You know, if people can't regulate themselves, they have to be regulated. That's just the way the world is. It's if you a look, really sad state of affairs. If you look at spring training games and you go back and look at how the game was played in the 70s, it's the same game. It's like guys like Nomar Garcia Parra who wrecked this game. You know, fidgeting well, with their just, fidgeting with their our, gloves our, and their hairdo and everything before the next pitch. Make sure they're pretty. Come on, dude, get back in. Yeah, you know, I think one of the big culprits was Ortiz. Remember, he had his little like spit on his gloves deal. Okay, so just for our fans uh, or not, just I'm going to race through some of the uh, the rule changes that take effect this year here on opening day. First and foremost, a pitch clock. Uh, which will give pitchers 15 seconds between pitches to begin their motion or receive a ball and 20 seconds with a runner on. And the batters will have about, I believe, eight seconds. Uh, the same 15, but they have to be in the box with eight seconds Within remaining. Eight, yes, with eight seconds, sorry, with eight seconds remain, or they will receive a strike. So this is a very radical change for baseball with a implementation of a clock. We also have a ban on the shift because yeah. apparently batters can't like adjust their yeah, that swings. I, that, to I, that I do not approve of. I think that's set the switch. So you have to have your feet planted in the infield uh, when the pitcher begins his motion. We have larger bases, uh, which will increase uh, by about four and a half inches. Uh, theoretically, so that our uh, our our batters, our our base runners, will uh, there'll be less injuries apparently, and secondly, um, we may see a little bit more of a you know a little bit more stolen base. Yeah, the uh, shift is embarrassing, right? I mean, if you if you can't hit a baseball like like in to the opposite field, you probably shouldn't be in professional baseball. And you know, yeah, the truth I'm, of the matter is. Guys who can't adjust, guys who haven't been able to adjust for the last 15 years have been run out of baseball, and they should have been run out of baseball. I'm like, dude, it's not that complicated. 
Well, you know, we have to have equity these days. So, okay. So the other, uh, the, the interesting thing is, is there's the article in the New York Times that uh, has been tracked, you know, basically tracking the playtime. In 2021, average game set a record at three hours and 11 minutes. The average was two hours and 44 minutes in 1985. Okay. Um, according to this article, also, the pitch clock has reduced the um, games in the minors by about 25 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to be down. The other interesting thing, and this is something I've been arguing for, actually, for quite a while, is that they're actually going to shorten the time between innings. Yeah, I don't care about that. Well, I mean, that's not me, the that problem. Like, oh, you get all your commercial, you, you know, get all your commercial revenue or whatnot. Yeah, so but, yeah. anyway, I mean, look, that's not the problem. All they need to do now is actually call the strikes, call the actual strike zone, and we'll be set. So you want to ump? You want a robot? No, I don't care, robot or whoever. I just want the strike zone as written in the rule books to be called. But All right. When was the last time you saw a strike called at the letters? Never. I mean, I see it. I see it fair amount. I you mean, see I, it like I, well, you see it like twice every, a year. Every umpire has his or her his not his or her his strike zone, right? That's yeah, but see, that's that, sort of the knock on some of these. I, these I don't mean guys. to be that guy, but the strike zone, as laid out in the rule book, is very clear. If you want to accelerate the game, if you want to make it more interesting, if you want to increase contact, if you want to get rid of this ridiculous emphasis on home runs, call the strike zone. Call the high strike, and all these uppercutting, all these all these hitters who uppercut to try to hit home runs, they'll be out of the league in two years. I noticed you tempered yourself because you were going to say a bad word. Very well done. I was just going to say idiots. Uh, so anyways, the whole point of all of these rule changes Thanks. is to uh, it, to get people interested in the game again. Apparently uh the the um not accounting for the pandemic in shortened seasons of 2020 and 2021 attendance has fallen steadily since 2015 last year's average was the lowest since 1996 yeah in all fairness it's a problem for all sports Go, same is going on with football. Same is going on with basketball. I don't know about hockey, but I know I know bat I know football and basketball having the same deterioration in um in uh, well, attendance. What do you think? Part of it has to do with like not wanting politics in sports. Like that used to be the you know sort of refuge for for all that. No, stuff. no, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's it's the the decline in attendance across all sports is too much money. No. It's coincident with it's coincident with the inter introduction of these things into people's lives. Oh, these awful devices. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, so Yankees are are playing tonight, and you will be happy to know they're, Mike. Play, they're playing. They're playing in an hour and and twenty two minutes, man. We, we oh, they're playing this afternoon. We got to get this podcast. Yeah, that's up, why I'm then. like, dude, you can't be late today, and here you are. Come Sorry, on, man. man. So you will be happy to know that. Our good friend Aaron Hicks is not in the starting lineup on opening day. We the 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 big saga has been resolved. But Glaber, of course, who should be benched or should be traded, I should say, is DHing today. So that's an interesting uh, interesting twist on that. Yeah, you know, so. I'm glad. Um, on the other hand, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can name the the Yankee the three Yankee starting pitchers over the next three days, four days now. Ooh, that's a good question. Given the fact that three fifths of the starting rotation is 
already out for There's, the year okay, for, for okay. the summer for the spring. I'll, I'll give you so Garrett Cole is starting today. Some dude named Clark Schmidt starting uh, Saturday, right? The game Saturday, and then some guy named Johnny Brito is starting um, Sunday. Oh, that's good. I never <laughs> it's a good start to the season. Every player the Yankees acquired in the off season or rehired in the off season. I, I, is on the injury. I've never heard of this guy, Johnny Brito. I'm like, yeah, yeah he's, here he is. He's our number three pitcher. I'm telling you, the Steinbrenners hate the fans. They think you're idiots. If you're a Yankee fan and you pay money to Steinbrenners, you're literally paying to cut your own throat. All right, Jeremy, I played the the opening clip was uh, the run-up to an interview with Jeremy Renner, who we've talked about quite a bit now on this podcast, <laughs> which is weird. I can't figure out why. Maybe I'm obsessed with this story. Um, We're having trouble with the facts. That's a problem. The producer, the producer said, "Quote: I thought that was like a, a movie pre promo, basically. Like, was that the weirdest and strangest way to bring this art, this story up, or bring this interview up? It's so yes. bizarre. Yes, it really it the whole the whole thing." It felt uh, like an action movie. This, like it felt like he was like the, running a running a the, movie. The whole thing, them, us, the the movie trailer. Yeah, the whole thing's weird. <laughs> I don't. I, we gotta stop. It's you know what? What we really need is a Jeremy Renner Abraham Lincoln mashup. All right, we need a ban on. We need. We just start the list of of topics um, we can't. We redline <laughs> redline topics. So far, we got Honest Abe, Jeremy Renner, and you know, I think that's a good start. So I I brought this clip uh up of questioning secretary treasury secretary yellen about matt taibbi's visit during his testimony on the weaponization of uh the justice system or or the you know these uh you know whatever they're lumping everybody together in yeah the wtf committee dude the administration is like that's insane. Like, what is, all right, what's your take on that? My take on it is, is that they have no fear. Yeah, they that's do. My take too. They do not. I'm going to agree with you. Sorry, listeners, but we're going to agree on this. Yeah, they, they just, they, they. It can't. It couldn't have been accidental. It was purposeful. It was a message. It was a message. It was like it, you know what? Like, we can get any of you guys. It's like a, a dead fish in a newspaper, dude. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was a message. You guys, you guys, you, it, it's our world. We just let you guys live in it. Yeah, it's totally insane. If, if I was a member of Congress, I might have moved to, I may have moved right then to have impeached Janet Yellen. Well, I would, at, at a minimum, I would compel uh, this officer to testify. Right. Oh yeah, I drag everybody. Right, up. Get it right oh, yeah, back yeah, at him. Like, like all right, is, come here. What, what was the purpose for this, you knocking on his door? This is this is you know this is rank intimidation. This is the kind of this is third world stuff. Uh, speaking of uh, third world stuff, uh, special case says we can't get bogged oh, down. Oh wow! I, I I have to wow. Like it just keeps happening. I I just, like you can't make this up, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot make this up. You know, I hesitate to I hesitate to say this about anybody, but he, I'm coming to the conclusion he's not a good person. And I it it we can't get bogged in details like genocide and death camps. I'm like, what what the hell is wrong with you, man? I mean, they're all they're are, all are, are, linked because as we have 
pointed out, and we'll be, by the way, pushing out a very, very, very thorough uh, analysis of the situation with respect to minerals and, and processing. They are linked 100% because China controls 80 plus percent of the supply chain for his green utopia world. You know, so yeah, they're linked. They're not, you know, they're linked, period. You know, you read you read the resume, and it's a good resume. It's a resume of a successful mid-century American, right? Harvard, he went to war. Yeah, he served, well. well, he went to war. There's he's, a lot of fine. There, he went to war. On paper. He's, Looks good he, on paper. He went to war. He got shot at. He got shot, you know. He was a senator. Was he a governor? I don't know. He was a secretary of state. This is a guy who should be an exemplar of American ex- values. It, you know, even if you disagree with him, even if he's a Democrat, this would be. This is a guy who should be. This is a product of the United States. This is one of our. This is one of our best products. And this is the kind of person he is. It makes you wonder about the whole system, the whole rotten system. I mean, this is the. This is their product. This is what they produce. It's very shocking. I was surprised. He, I, I, I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised. Disappointed, amazed, stupefied is probably a good word. Stupefied. Stupefied. You know, the investments the, the investments of his friends are so freaking important, he's willing to ignore everything else. The cash well, is just king. I did leave a clip out because uh producer says we have too many clips, so we're going to shorten them. Um, he also defended the Davos jet setters. Yeah, I'm recently sure saying that, well, they work harder than most on this problem. So they, they should be able to fly their private Absolutely, jets. Absolutely, man. They, do, they, they deserve to They work harder than us rubes, us, you know, you know, low lives sitting around here. So Take our high-speed trains and... That, you know, something... Something's really gone off the rails when that when when the system produces a guy like this. You know, he's. All right, um, I, I've concluded the problem isn't him; it's it's what produced him. Anyway, go ahead. Vice President Harris is in Africa, and she's she loves that line, <laughs> unburdened by what has been. It's like her. Is that going to be her campaign theme or what? What What's the deal? Well, innovation, Mike. I have no idea. What Joe Biden said there about unions and and women is not a joke. I have no idea what he just said. So if our listeners can unpack that, please let us probably, let us know. Probably and, something about gun-toting political advisors. <laughs> and then, of course, his you know his famous oh everyone thinks I'm like everyone else with his with he's at a Greek American deal and he talks about his first. By the way, the the key in that clip was not that he thinks he's joe bidenopolis it the key in that if you give it a listen is is he's describing how long he's been in 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 the washington political scene yeah so longer than i think longer than i've been alive the correct answer is too too long <laughs> all right um announcements i got a bunch do you how many you got i have two why don't you go first and then i'll go all right, I'm going to get the tough one out of the way. I'd like to enlist the audience in praying for my friend, uh, AJ's niece, Olivia. Uh, she got rushed to the hospital for a, a respiratory episode that uh, they're still not sure what it is or or what to do about it. 
Um, she's been on and off a respirator and, uh, she, at the moment she's working her way off of it. Um, but they still don't really know what it is or what caused it and all that good stuff. So if you could all just say a prayer for Olivia, that would be great. And then I will, uh, I want to pay my compliments to two gentlemen who have done a lot of work and do a lot of good work in our world on, uh, on these issues who testified at a Senate budget committee hearing chaired by Senator Sheldon, uh, White's only beach club white house, uh, on the supposed stranded assets caused by the inevitable shift to a minerals based energy system from the current awful, terrible one we have today. Lou's testimony was spot on. Uh, and Ben Zyker had about a 12 minute exchange with Senator Whitehouse where he slayed him. Yeah. It was just glorious. So congratulations, gentlemen, if you're listening, well, well done. Those are my announcements. Let me follow up on that and just say everyone should read both written testimonies because they are just really, really good. Um, so I'm going to put both the hearing and the testimony in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, it's um, All right. it's nice. All right, I got a, I got a half a dozen things, four or five things, so it's going to – I'll go quick. Uh, first, I want to thank Bob Moran and the team over at uh, FTI. Um, who were kind enough to host me and uh, let me visit with some folks from uh, Timor-Leste, which, as we all know, is an important American ally and um, needs some American help to exploit its pretty extensive natural gas um, field, about 9 trillion cubic feet. So it's a lot. And either either we're going to do it or the Chinese are going to do it. It's like a lot of things in the world. It's a it's a contest. So that's yeah, one. Unfortunately, our government isn't really helping in that situation, but hopefully. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. Um, yeah. Second, I want to thank uh, a guy who I know listens all the time and I never um, appropriately acknowledge him, Frank Cadillac. I want to, I want to thank Frank for his um, love and support. Um, I also want to thank Travis Fisher and Jack Spencer, who had me on the Power Hour podcast over at the Heritage Foundation yesterday. It was, we went for about an hour and 15 minutes. I have to be honest with you, it was even less structured than this. It was just, <laughs> they just let me talk for like an hour, which I'm like, I'm pretty sure I committed a couple of crimes hey, in there. Hey, I'll, I'll take that as a, an offense. I work hard on the structure. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it it just it's it, it. I walk in there like, well, what do you want? What do you want to talk about? I'm like, is that how this goes now? Um, uh, I want to wish Tommy Andrews a very happy Greek Independence Day. Um, and still, Tommy, I feel bad that that um, that didn't come off in 2020 when we were inside. Um, you know, next year in Jerusalem, right? Um, lastly, I want to um, I want to give a shout out to my friend Shannon, um, and um, tell you, you you may have been right when we about the topic we were talking about at dinner. You you may have been right. I've been thinking about that for a couple of days. I got I got to do some more thinking about it. So that's it. Um, that's all my that's all my shout outs. It's a lot, I know, but it was a busy well, week. A couple of inside baseball ones there too, but that's cool. All right, let's switch over to this day in history. Uh, I've got one from 1867. On this day in 1867, and I'll give you a hint. We talk about this state a fair amount, and we had Nevada joins the union. No, no, we we had a gov the governor of this state on the other day for the other week for an interview. We bought Alaska. 
Yes, indeed. The U.S. purchase of Alaska ridiculed by uh, opponents as Seward's Folly for $7 million, uh, <laughs> roughly two cents per acre. Golly. So now, interestingly enough, it was not until 1959 that it became a state after several iterations. And we had talked back in the day, uh, a few weeks back, about exploring further that whole condition of statehood thing. Yep. Yeah. So I got a little bit, I got a little bit of information for you. The there's two things. One, the BLM still, as part of the Statehood Act of 1959, has 100, 105 million acres of federal land that was uh, deemed sufficient for the newly formed state to become economically self-supporting. They still have not. So what happens is Alaska works with the Department of Interior to work on land transfers from the federal government to the state. And it's been going on since 1959. And they actually still have about 70 million acres to swap. For, all, for, for that. So that's one thing I thought that was interesting. They're called state entitlements. The other thing is, is the way this whole thing worked was the, the permanent fund, you know, you've heard of this permanent fund, right? Yep. The, the state of Alaska owns all of the resources in Alaska. And that is what the governor, I believe, was referring to. The bargain is, is that the state was supposed to ensure its, its economic stability by managing the natural resources in such a way that it it was not a burden on the federal government. In other words, they sort of gave them the 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 beginning and the beginning they gave them the handouts that they needed to kind of get things rolling. Um, and so all of that is tied up into this conversation about the permanent fund and the use of the natural resources and, and stuff. And there are arguments back and forth about whether that should change as well. But that is, what the uh, governor was referring to, and I'll read, the legislature shall provide for the utilization, development, and conservation of natural resources belonging to the state, including land and waters for the maximum benefit of its people. So, yeah. So anyway, that's it. We, 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 that's simple. Still going on transition next, next go around. It's kind of a, a, a twist. Uh, and that's the that's the twist for statehood. Okay, 1870. Amir, three years later, 1870. March 30th, 1870? Yep. It's uh, an amendment to the Constitution. Oh, the 14th Amendment passed. 15, actually. Okay. What 15 was, was adopted today, which uh, granted African-American men the right to vote. Okay. And... um. In 1974, March 30th, 1974. Wow. <laughs> You're not going to guess this. Yeah. John Denver hit number one on the charts with Sunshine on My Sunshine Shoulders. On My Shoulders makes me happy. And then, lastly, and uh, uh, <laughs> rather, uh, I should be, this should be a name the tune, name that tune. I'd win it like every time. Go ahead. In 1981, this terrible thing happened. Yeah, Ronald Reagan got Washington, shot. Washington, D.C. Ronald yes. Reagan got shot. Yeah, that I remember very clearly. Shot in the chest outside the now what's called the Hig Hinkley Hilton. Hinkley Hilton uh, down down in DuPont Circle. Yeah, yeah, so. I, re I remember that day. 
It was, it was, um, it was a a long day. HR one. That's, that's my first topic. One and not done was the subject of my, my press release uh, for, for that bill, which if it hasn't passed, it should have passed by now. I think it was. Uh, yeah, it's going to pass. It's going to pass today. What do you think? Good start. What? Yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a good start. It doesn't solve everything, but you can't solve everything. The, my only objection to it is really that um, there are people who are who are claiming that it does more than it does. That's that, that's it. I mean, you know, the prop like as in all things Washington, the propaganda the propaganda is more painful than whatever the policy might be. Um, and as I've said before, you have people writing a bill about permitting who've never actually permitted anything. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I, I think my beef, well, not my beef per se, but my uh, observations are that the the media, mainstream crowd, the New York Times and all are, are viewing this as the sort of the Republican yeah platform on energy and i'm like no god 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 almighty i hope this isn't it this This, is not this is like the first two sentences yeah exactly it it, um yeah the the um the other thing about it that's bear bear some some watching and and some consideration and some concern is i could easily imagine a world in which the democrats in the senate staple on national the nationalization of transmission both planning and cost allocation, yeah. and then and send it back to the like house. What three or four provisions in here, mostly yep. dealing with minerals, et cetera, et cetera, yep. and, and calling it a big grand compro. Yep, and we wind up eating it. And and you know if that the one thing that can't come out of this is nationalization of the grid, but yep. but we we seem to be putting ourselves on a path that way. The Bezo, Bezos post uh, headline today: House passes doomed energy bill. Heading into two-week recess. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, more energy news. Governor Gavin's big oil bill yeah. did indeed pass. This is from the LA Times uh, source on March 27th. Now, uh, gets, gets to say he took on big oil and won, does all kinds of great little Twitter deals and everything else. Um, this bill doesn't really do what... He thinks it does. So let me just clarify what this bill does. This bill allows the California Energy Commission to to set a cap and impose penalties through a regulatory process if it concludes that oil companies are making excessive profits, as long as that penalty will not result in higher prices for consumers. So it's about as... um, it's about as uh, effective as any other good old, good old bureaucratic, you know, program can be. Well, right? so it's it's a little bit worse than that, right? What it does is it sets the stage for a windfall profits tax because it lets it, it lets the California Energy Commission get in everybody's books, and that's a, yes. that's a huge yes. problem, right? Because um, you know, the, the, I'm pretty confident there aren't a lot of accountants floating around um, the California Energy Commission. Um, so there's going to be a lot of propaganda and misinformation coming out of that. Right. I'm right. looking forward it'll, to it. It'll give it'll give them a chance to go later on and say, you know, see, we told you. They'll so. be back next year. They'll right. be back next year, right? You know, yeah. and and you know, it, as as China comes out of as China comes out of the ditch, global demand's going to go up. Prices are going to go up. They'll be back next year, which will be good for Governor Newsom's timing to run for president. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, uh, like, for example, the proponents are all ignoring, completely ignoring the the idea or the notion that the reason that gas prices in California aren't two plus bucks more than anywhere else is because for years and years and years, the very same legislatures have imposed all these additional costs on gasoline in California right yeah so it's not their fault it's the it's the the oil companies that that uh, happen to be the ones who have, have created this unfair big 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 surge in in prices yeah. uh, in the state of California so, it, it it like everything involving California as long as I'm not affected by it I don't care um you know well they, they seem they seem to be perfectly happy to pay a very large premium to live on the Pacific Ocean. And that's cool. Maybe I would too, but you know, I don't understand it, but there it is. Uh another uh, another uh, busy week this week. Senate votes to overturn Biden's clean water rule. Yeah. So we had a uh, vote in the house which um passed and then the Senate just passed it. And interestingly enough, we had, hmm, five Democrat senators voting for the bill, of which four are up for re-election. Tester, Cinema, Rosen, and Manchin. And Cortez Masto uh, was the fifth Democrat who just got re-elected in the state of Nevada. Uh, Biden says he's going to veto this sucker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a free vote, right? Um, Biden's going to veto it. So it's a free vote. Supreme Court's going to overturn the rule. So it's a free vote. Doesn't matter. You know, this is. I'm waters of the United States. I I realize it's important and blah, 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 and all that other stuff. But it's without a doubt the most boring public policy issue out there. All free men, wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, ish men I'm feeling. All right, why'd I play that clip? Um, I don't know. 80 per, 82% of Berlin's voters refused to support the 2023 climate neutrality referendum <laughs> that would have made Berlin subject to this uh, whole host of of rules and regulations getting to climate neutrality by 2030. Yo. Resounding failure, this is uh, resounding failure despite more than a million euros spent in a massive run-up campaign that including plastering the city with posters, concerts by famous performers, huge support and propaganda by the media and hefty donations from left-wing activists. The emerging yes side fell sh- short 200 plus thousand short of the 608,000 votes needed to pass the measure but guess what yeah it's not deterred they're going to go they're back at it they're going back at it they're going to say it's going to happen some other way the Europeans the Europeans have no respect for the voters if they did there wouldn't be a european union every time it got put to the voters voters rejected it they're like hey, we don't care we're going to do it anyway 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what the EU's for, right? Yeah, you know, they, they have less respect. The European elites, if it's possible, have less respect for voters than American elites. All right. Well, I want to play this clip. Uh, it's kind of energy. Yeah. Uh, but it's more climate. And I just want to get either your blood boiling or I just want to get your comment on it. <laughs> okay. It is, um, yeah, it's educating. It's hopefully elevating the content that, you know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we, we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science and we think that the world, you know, should know it. And, and the platforms themselves also do. Um, but again, it's, it's, it is, um, it's, it's a huge, huge challenge that I think all sectors of society need to be very active in. That was uh, Melissa Fleming, the head of the United Nations Department of Global Communications. Announcing that they had no clue at all about search engine optimization. <laughs> but we own the okay. science. We own the science, but we don't understand any damn thing about anything else, apparently. We own the science, <laughs> and now we, we paid Google lots and lots of money from UN dues uh, from the United States to jack the search engine so that our sh I'm, look, I'm very glad rises to the top. I'm super glad that the I'm super glad that the the old white guys who live at the UN UN finally figured out search engine optimization. That it's good for them. Good for them. Welcome to the 21st century, boys and girls. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. if, if you think it's going to save you, it's not going to save you, but good for you. Good for you. All right, that's all I have for the energy space. Uh, what do you have? Uh, anything else on energy? Nope. All right, let's flip to this yet another vote this week. As I mentioned, it's a busy week. Uh, after a flip and a flop, Biden will actually terminate the COVID national emergency two years after it ended. So uh, you got to give Senator Marshall uh, some credit for this, uh, for forcing the Senate for this is now the third time uh, to vote on terminating the COVID national emergency. Yep. Um, it finally uh, passed um, the Senate 68-23 yesterday. The House passed it uh, 230 to 197. Yep. Uh, so this is the weird part, okay? The president's going to s sign it. Yep. But this is his message. This is a statement from yesterday. It's worth yeah. The president strongly opposes HJ Res 7, and the administration is planning to wind down the COVID national emergency and public health emergency on May 11th. This bill comes to his desk, however. He will sign it. Yeah. But I, it, it, if it, you strongly oppose it, then veto it. If it's not just these guys. You know, first it was the D.C. crime bill. Now it's this. I have no idea how the House team and the Office of Legislative Affairs in the White House shows back up on the Hill and talks to the Democrats. I mean, it's embarrassing at a certain point. Like, look, I know we've I know we've sandbagged you now twice, but this third time we really mean it. Look, Lucy, Charlie Brown, football. I'm like, dude, it you, you know, once or twice maybe. 
certain point, people stop listening to you. And I, I got, I can't, I got to believe the House Democrats are now like, hey, I'm not, I'm not ever like taking you, I'm not ever taking your position on a vote again. I'm just going to vote for what I think I should do. All right. So I found this interesting, uh, just a little bit of a, a shift here. Uh, this is from March 27th. The uh, Wall Street Journal, America pulls back from values that once defined it. Yeah. WSJ Nork poll finds. Yep. Patriotism, patriotism, religion, and hard work, less importance. Patriotism, very important to them, 23%, 59 against. No, no, I take that back. Democrats, 23%, Republicans, 59%. Religion, Democrats, 27%, Republicans, 53%. Having children, Democrats, 26 Republicans, 38. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I actually read through that survey real quick. And um, I'm not saying everybody shouldn't be concerned. You should be concerned. But the real story of the survey was that a lot of that stuff migrated from very important to just important. Now, you know, when you when you comboed very important and important or somewhat important or, you know, moderately important, I forget the exact the exact phrasing of the question. When you combo those, they they look a lot like they did twenty five years ago. Okay. Right. What what happened inside the survey was there was a lot of migration from very important to somewhat important or more, you know, modestly important, whatever. Um I can't figure out like if that's people wandering away or people just like, look, I don't want to say very important. I'm just going to say this other thing. There's some deterioration, no doubt about it. It's not good. On the other hand, it's not surprising. Keep in mind for at least a generation and probably two, our schools have been, you know. Our, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, our, our popular, I see it, I see it our, firsthand. Right. Our popular culture and our schools have militated against patriotism and hard work and having kids and religion. So it's a pretty steady drumbeat if you think about it. Truthfully, I'm amazed that like it was roughly the same number said important, however you break down that word important. Um it, it's a it's a problem. It's a it's a it's a fair size problem. I'm not I'm like so, you know. in this poll, let me read from the article, thirty eight percent of respondents said patriotism was very important. Yeah. And 39 said religion was very important, down sharply when from when the journal first asked the question in 1998, when 70% deemed patriotism to be very important, and 62% said so of religion. Yeah, see, but like I said, when you combo the important responses, all important right. responses, numbers are the same. It, so it's like they've migrated from very important to important. I can't tell if that's like critical or just problematic, right? It's not. Yeah, well, it's it's not. Know. It's not directionally good. That's that's for sure, right? It's not directionally good. But here's some good news. Uh, overall, sixty three percent in the survey said companies shouldn't take public stands. Yeah. On social and political issues. Yeah, that was the other. That was the other thing that didn't get reported was that about the survey was that the underlying sentiment of Americans on a bunch of different things is mostly conservative. That's one of them, right? Companies yeah. should sell us stuff and like shut up, which is funny because there's an entire 
there's an entire architecture now of lawyers and PR firms who specifically run around tell CEOs and like companies, oh, you need to stand, you need to take a stand on everything. But you yeah. know what? Survey data doesn't support that. Survey data suggests something completely different. All right. So the journal, I'll, we'll put this article in the poll in the show notes. The journal Norwich survey polled 1,019 people from March 1 to 13, mostly online. Yeah, almost all of them online. That's the other thing I can't, I can't figure out if it's important, right? How many old people didn't? How many old people skipped, right? Yeah. Because old people don't do stuff online. Okay, so so I was like, you know, I know, Mike, you like to, like, dig into who does these. So I looked up NORC. Yeah, NORC, the National yeah. Opinion Research Center, yeah. Well, they don't call themselves that anymore. They call themselves NORC. NORC, yeah, I know. It's very strange. I know. They have a whole section about it. It's like, uh, the, this we were first the nonpartisan objective research organization, but now, like IBM and RAND, we're just NORC. It's yeah. just very strange. It is so. very. It's a little odd. They they um, they they do these big think pieces, um, you know these big these big think piece surveys. They feed into the um, general social service studies, the general so <laughs> the general social study um, survey work at the University of Michigan. They do good work. They do good work. Um, I'm a little concerned about their their over reliance on the online stuff here. Yeah. Okay. So I'm clear. Uh, what do you have? Anything? Nork. <laughs> Nork. It's the National Opinion Research Center. Just no. It's Nork. I, I, look, <laughs> what is wrong with these people? Um, I'm, I'm going to do. I got three or four things. I'm just going to do rapid fire because I know everybody wants right, to get out of here, away. including me. Um, Okay, so the White House and it's propaganda. For my first two are propaganda. My first three are propaganda. Um, Wall Street Journal pinged Senator Manchin um, over the weekend about last week about how the his Inflation Reduction Act was a catastrophe um, and was going to get expanded to the Europeans and cost Americans one point two trillion, not three hundred dollars, three hundred billion dollars. Manchin responded back yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, basically saying, "Hey, the Biden administration is full of thieves and criminals, um, and and you know they lied to me." I, sorry to interrupt. I was going to put that on the list, so I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, yeah. I just felt like we do a lot of Manchin. Yeah, so. no, no, no. So this is the, this. I mean, I, I'm always happy to make fun of Senator Manchin, but let me. The the important, the interesting part of this story is, here's how the White House responded. I'm going to one particular phrase in this, so I'm going to read it all. We have a strong and productive relationship with Senator Manchin, which of course is a lie. Um, we are proud of the Inflation Reduction Act and our shared goals. Our shared goals. I don't know. It achieves promoting American energy security, strengthening supply chains, creating good-paying manufacturing jobs, and investing in energy communities and towns across America that have been left behind. There's one phrase in there that I want to circle for everybody because I keep seeing it, and I don't have any data that indicates it's true. Creating good-paying manufacturing jobs. That is a phrase they put in all their press releases, no matter what they're selling. Yeah. I would be very interested if anybody out there had any data that indicated what the extent to which and if good-paying manufacturing jobs have been created by anything the administration's done. I know they've been destroyed by some things the administration's done. Anyway, that's propaganda number one. Propaganda number two is headline propaganda. It's something that always bothers me. Um, Politico, um, actually, they, I assume they picked the headline off AP. West Virginia governor signs ban on gender-affirming care. 
Okay. I don't want to dive too deeply into this, but gender-affirming care in some cases involves cutting people's appendages off. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that's gender-affirming, obviously, for obvious reasons, but that is the phrase we are going to get over and over again. It's kind of like creating good-paying manufacturing jobs. It's a phrase we keep getting over and over again. Um, and in... I got one more in the propaganda. Well, can I can I stop there? Because I think this is an important sure. uh, discussion. This is because the, the left is superior at setting yeah. the terms of the debate. Yep, the boundaries of the debate. They 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 say that they dictate the terms, and then we always end up just following and just debating and arguing these these uh, issues uh, with the terminology that they have injected into the mainstream. Now, they have a lot of help, obviously, uh, because I think the mainstream media, which, uh, you know, I don't know how you define it these days, but your traditional media sources uh, generally tend to play along. So, well, uh, that, you know, that I, had I've argued forever and ever and ever that we just we just need to stop. We need to stop doing it. We need to, we need to, you know, call what, call things what they are, as opposed to what the Democrats, sorry, the left defines them to be. Well, the headline would be a lot different. It was West Virginia governor bans genetic mutil, signs bill banning genetic mutilation of children. Um, one other propaganda thing before I get to my China thing. Um, I'm just going to read this because I can't believe it. So I'm just going to read it. The Bipartisan Policy Center hosted a ceremony to present its Patriot Award to former President George W. Bush last night at National Harbor, Maryland. Apparently, it doesn't take too much to get this Patriot Award. All you got to do is invade a country that doesn't actually pose any threat to you and kill a bunch of people and be wrong. It- be wrong about the be wrong about the actual purpose and and excuse for the invasion. Okay. How in the world can that be justified? You want to know, you want to know how bad it is? Here was the spotted list from that. Keep in mind, this guy's a former president of the United States and he's in town. Here's the spotted list. Here's exactly what it included, who it included. Steve Scully, the C-SPAN dude, Jock McKernan, Olympia Snow, Henry Cisneros, Michelle Nellenbach, whoever she might be, and John Rector. That's it. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, the good news is is that as even as intellectually desiccated and terrible as Washington D.C. is, even nobody in this town wanted to get near that thing. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody in this town goes to any meetings anymore with anybody. No, they're, that. they're, no, that's not but. true. At the at the Heritage had a 50th anniversary thing at the Capitol Hill Club. There were like five dozen members, so that they could go to, but they weren't going down to National Harbor to give this guy a Patriot Award. Nor should they have. Um, Okay, China, one quick one on China. Um, I want to read this to you because it's fun. In recent months, the company, TikTok is who we're talking about, also finally succeeded in hiring SKDK, the public affairs firm that boasted imposing Democratic alumni network, including senior figures in the Biden administration. The firm turned down an initial overture from TikTok during the 2020 campaign, according to two people familiar with the firm, who explained that the decision was, I'm going to quote this, quote, due to concerns around the company's ties to China. 
that's Washington all tied up in a bow. I we, don't disagree. Back in 20, <laughs> thank you. Back in 2020, we were super concerned that TikTok was part of China, part of the Chinese Inc. Um, but something's apparently changed. And of course, the answer what's changed is TikTok eventually just offered them enough money to overcome whatever moral qualms they had. I like Mike Beckerman. He's a friend of mine. But Mike, you probably want to think about what you're doing with your life. Um, well, I wasn't going to bring up the uh, exchange uh, that we that during the hearing. The Gary Palmer thing. With the Gary Palmer thing. But let's just throw it in the show notes and people can enjoy it for themselves. I'll tell you real quick. I'll give you a preview of it. Gary Palmer is a congressman from Alabama. During the TikTok CEO's testimony, he brought up that Mike had been on TV, CNN, a couple of months ago, had been unable to acknowledge that um, Chinese had the Uyghurs in death camps, uh, despite the fact that the Biden administration has managed to acknowledge it and the Trump administration has acknowledged it. Um, and Mr. Palmer wanted to know where Beckerman was. I assume that Gary knew Beckerman was sitting directly behind the CEO. And the CEO's like, uh, Mike Beckerman? I, I don't think I know Mike Beckerman. Who? Right. And he gave one of those who. You should watch it. It's fun. Um, you know. It's, it's a, it's, it was a very, uh, I, I recall a lot of, a lot of text chatter about, uh, about the, the exchange. It's, uh, so. look, I love all mankind. Pick your but, battles, ladies and gentlemen. But if you're, and, if you're, everyone, if you're selling out to the Chinese, if you're selling out to the Chinese, the Chinese communists for money, you're no better than John Kerry. You're no better than John Kerry. I want you to think about that sentence. Well, on that note, I think we should wrap up this this <laughs> episode of the Unregulated Podcast. We're going to jail. The IRS is coming to visit us. <laughs> we might have a lot of editing to do on this one. I don't know, producer. What do you think? Okay, he's left. He's left the country already. Sunshine. On my shoulder makes me happy. <laughs> that is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Episode number 126. Namaste. The happy episode <laughs> of the Unregulated Podcast. On the water. Looks so lovely.